Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. I love that. I've been practicing not having my phone in my hand constantly. It's very hard for me, I will be honest. Um, But I'm going to just say one little caveat. I actually want you to use your phones today. I want you to have the notes in front of you because I'm going to have a lot of notes. (laughs) So um, you can pull out your phones, but only stay on the notes or in the Bible. (laughs) Don't get distracted. Um, But before we get uh, going here, as you're pulling that up, I just want to pray again. Father, we just welcome your presence again. God, we just thank you, God, that this is all for you, Father. We gather together in one name, God, the name of Jesus, the name that saves. Thank you, Jesus. So, God, I just ask that you would anoint uh, this message today. You would anoint uh, each one that is listening, God, that they would receive it, God, not just with their minds, that they would receive it into their spirit, God, that they would transform their lives, God, from the inside out. So, God, I thank you, Father, that this is not what I can do or say, God, but only what you can say, God, and we give you all glory, God, because you are worthy of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so as you guys are pulling that up, I was able to get the scriptures. If you're not catching the drift, I was not scheduled to preach today. So um, so we have pulled this together, but I was able to get the scriptures up there, but there will be a lot of scriptures today. So um, if you do have the Giving Light app, um, they're loaded in there in the right versions that I'm going to be reading today. Um, but today I want to share a message um, called The Transformative Power of the Gospel. The full title of this message is The Transformative Power of the Gospel as outlined in the letter of Ephesians. That is an eternal title that does not fit on anything. So we're going to go with the short version. Um, But did you know that this gospel that we believe is a transformative gospel? It is completely transforming in every aspect of our lives. So Today is going to be a tiny bit preaching, but a lot of bit teaching. Um, so there's going to be a lot of scripture for you to follow. But firstly, I just want to remind us all that um, the gospel that we believe, that the gospel of Jesus um, tells us that we were, without Jesus, pre-salvation, we uh, were dead in trespasses and sins. Did you know that? The Bible says that pre-Jesus, you were doomed because of sin. All of us say that includes me. Say, that includes me. All right, so the access point of our faith is believing that without Jesus, pre-Jesus, that we were doomed to destruction because of the cost of sin. The cost of sin, the wages of sin is death. And so pre-Jesus, that was our lot in life. And that's all of us because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the first step in our faith is our believing that in Jesus, because of Jesus, we are transformed from death into life. In Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can you say amen? That means that the death that was meant for you 
has been paid for and you've been transformed by the gospel of Jesus, by the good news of Jesus into a kingdom of not just life, but life abundantly and life eternally. So uh, that is worth celebrating. Um, and you guys know we have a baptism coming up. I, I've mentioned before I love baptisms because it is that public declaration of this transformation that you have died with Jesus, that your sin, your old man, your your previous way of life is dying with Jesus and that you have raised up again to life in him. That's what baptism symbolizes. Uh, even Jesus did it. And so I love that. And so I'm excited that we have that baptism coming up, just plugging that or reminding you of it again, but that's going to be August 7th. Um, but just I'm just laying a, a foundation that you probably all know. We were dead because of our sin, we have been transformed into eternal life because of Jesus. So beyond that, that's, a, that's enough, really, right? That is a huge transformation. But beyond that, this gospel also transforms every part of our life, down to our DNA as a believer. Our spiritual genetics have changed from that which was what belonged to darkness, and now it's been translated into the kingdom of light. And so every part of our lives get to be transformed because of Jesus. It is a transformative gospel. I'm going to say that so many times that you're, that's all you're going to hear when you leave today. It's transformative gospel. Um, and I'll prove it in Romans 12 too. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Say transformed by the renewing of your mind, hey, there you go, good job, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's saying that there was an old way of doing things, and now there's a new way of doing things, and you're, you're going to be transformed the more you focus on this gospel. And then you're, as you're transformed, you're going to know what the will of God is because you're going from an old way of thinking, an old way of living into a new way of living. And that way of living is the way of the kingdom. It's the way of Jesus. So say it's a transformative gospel. All right. It affects every part of our life. It is not just that one-time thing. It actually um, infiltrates every part of our, our lives, um, and it will change the way you think. It'll change the way you talk. It'll change your attitude. It'll change um, the way you believe. It'll change everything uh, as we allow it to. So now I'm going to get to the book of Ephesians today. Um, now, again, this is going to be a bit of teaching. I actually, I, I'll be really honest with you. I, through a lot of my life, I found the Bible very boring. Is I am not a great reader, I'm not a great focuser, and so to sit down and read the Bible was a challenge. But the Bible is an invitation. So I'm telling you that that is my life, because that might be your story as well, and that's okay. But the Bible is an invitation. Now, if you got an invitation to come to a um, Michelin star meal, and all you had to do was show up at that table and they were going to serve you the food. That's an invitation you'd want to say yes to, right? If you don't know what a Michelin star, that's like the top honors of chefdom. <laughs> I don't know, of culinary, um, what? Culinary arts. culinary arts, there you go. 
<laughs> my fancy made up words. But this is a table you would want to show up to. And I've recognized that the Bible is an invitation to a table. And when we keep just showing up at it, we're going to receive good nourishment. The Bible says that it's our daily bread. And so it's an invitation, not just to read words on a page. It's an invitation to a living, active person, the person of Jesus. He says that he is the word. And so when we show up, when we say yes to that invitation, um, he meets us there and he fills us uh, with all good things. So the book of Ephesians is where we're going to be focusing on today. I am not a Bible scholar. I am not a theologian. And we are not not going to go into any kind of great detail in this because I only have a short amount of time. So you remember how Pastor Steve is jogging through James? Remember how it's, it's a long jog? Today he was supposed to finish it and he can't even finish it today. So, um, but we're going to like jog through Ephesians today, like fast paced. Um, so I'm not going to jog because I don't want to run out of breath. That's why I'm going to stay still. Um, but we're going to go through it fast, but I want to give you a little bit of historical context on the book of Ephesians. Now, like I said, the book of Ephesians, um, or the, the Bible, is God-breathed. The Word says that it's good for doctrine, it's good for reproof, it's good for instruction and correction. It's our daily bread, um, but it is also um, a historical document that happened in real time in a real place. Did you know that? Um, it's not just, like, made up, like, words or poems or things like that. No, it actually happened. It was written by real people that God spoke to, God inspired, um, but it happened in a real time in a real place. And so the book of Ephesians, the letter of Ephesians was written by the apostle Paul. Some of this is going to be um, new for some of you. Some of this will be a review, um, but it was written by the apostle Paul. And um, the apostle Paul was, um, he ministered the message of Jesus to people right after Jesus was resurrected. So this was, uh, we talk about it now, but this was very close to when it actually literally happened. And so the Apostle Paul um, is ministering and he's converting people to come believe Jesus. Um, and so this happened in the, the area of Ephesus. That's where we get the name Ephesians. And that is modern day Turkey. So if you know where the country of Turkey is over in Asia, Elena has been to Turkey. She has walked maybe the same streets as the Apostle Paul, um, but it's over near Greece. And so that's where this actually happened. So just to give you some context, this helps me when I'm reading the Bible to, to kind of understand where this actually took place. And so this area of Ephesus um, was full of people who are new believers in Jesus. And so this is one of the early churches. Um, and so the Apostle Paul had been there before um, and kind of got the church started. And then he left and he kind of hinted that he might not be back. And so the, the people were kind of sad because they loved this man. They, he was the one that introduced them to Jesus. Uh, and so he goes off and Paul gets arrested um, because he's preaching the message of Jesus. So he gets thrown in prison and he's writing this letter. So the Ephesians get this letter from Paul. And I would imagine that they're excited because they didn't know if they'd ever hear from this man again. Okay, I'm going to try not to nerd out too much on this um, history part. <laughs> but... Um, 
All right, so, so that is this group of believers in the area of Ephesus. Now, um, a little bit more context, even beyond just Ephesus, is that in the Old Testament, um, the Bible is primarily focused on one family, the family of the Jews or the Hebrews, uh, the Israelites. There's lots of different names for this family. Um, and so this family was God's chosen family. Are you guys doing okay? Okay, I know, Brianna, you're, you're excited. <laughs> um, so the Old Testament is God's chosen family. It's really highlighting this family. Now, this family was important because it got us to Jesus. So God had to preserve a family line to get us to Jesus. Um, and so the Old Testament really focuses on this family. Um, now, um, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but... So when we get to the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene, and now the, the picture broadens to where we're not just focused on that one family. Now we're focusing kind of on all people. And so they, there was the Jews. Now, is anyone in here natural born, like Jew, you have Jewish heritage, Jewish blood, like your ancestors are from Israel? Nobody? Okay, so then we, I'm, I'm not a Jew either, we collectively, all of us, would be considered Gentiles because there's this group called the Jews and then there's everybody else and they call them the Gentiles. I actually don't know where that word comes from, but that's the word that they use. I'll have to study it out. So say I am a Gentile. All right. It's, it's not a curse word. It's, it just means you're not a Jew. <laughs> so, um, so Jesus comes on the scene and we start opening up the our world it's not just jews now it's everybody but here's the thing is that the jews had this way of thinking that they were god's special people they were god's special people they are god's chosen people we love the jews <laughs> we love the israelites um and so the, this family though they kind of were raised and to believe that jesus was for them and only them Jesus was coming, and he was going to save the Jews. Now, um, we talked a lot. Andy, you were with me, right, when we talked about kingdoms? Um, so kingdoms is language that they use a lot in the Bible because kingdoms is the way that their government was kind of set up. And so, um, and back then, kings were not just um, fancy, like, gem-wearing, shoulder-pad-wearing, like, sit-on-fancy-chairs kings. They were warriors. And so throughout the Old Testament, the Jews are hearing these prophecies of a king that is coming, and the king is going to save their people. And so they are thinking that a warrior king is going to show up, and he is, he is going to take out all the other kingdoms, and Israel will reign supreme. Are you following me? Okay, so it's like a movie. I wish they would make a really excellent movie on this because it's, it's really fun. I mean, maybe not fun, but it's adventurous. Um, and so this is what they think is going to happen. So now Jesus shows up. We know he shows up as a baby. He's not a warrior king in the way that they were thinking. And he kind of turns everything upside down. The kingdoms that they were used to, this um, like going to overthrow everybody else kind of kingdoms is not the way that Jesus came. He actually turned everything upside down and was saying, no, the kind of kingdom that I came to bring looks a lot different than what you think it's going to look like. So Okay, so the main point here is that there were the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Jews believed that Jesus was only for them. You got that? Okay. All right, now, going back to Ephesus. So the church of Ephesus, who, these are the people that the letter of Ephesians was written to. These people were, there might have been some Jews mixed in there, but they were mostly Gentiles. A lot of 
Gentile people, okay? So now when Jesus came, um, he had to start teaching. And then the apostles, he gave them revelation so that they could start teaching that, yes, Jesus is for the Jews, but Jesus is also for the Gentiles. Say the gospel is for everyone. All right, I think I'm losing some of you. Say the gospel is for everyone. All right, okay. So these were Gentile people. That means that they were brought up in lots of different beliefs, lots of different religions. They were not used to the law that the Jews were. Um, the Jews had to keep all of these different laws in order to maintain their holiness. Um, but the Gentiles were not used to that. It would be like um, if all of a sudden... Um, you were being taught, this is a bad example, but you were being taught like the ways of Hinduism. So this stuff would be all new to you. Unless you grew up that way, I did not. That would be all foreign to me. So they are learning a lot of foreign concepts, the Gentiles. They are having to learn what it means to be a Christian. So a lot through the, Old, or through the New Testament, it's saying like there's one God. Because like in the Corinthian, in Corinth, the letter of Corinthians, Paul is saying, I know you're used to worshiping everything under the sun, including the sun, but there's actually only one God. And so they're learning lots of new things. And so um, this is the Ephesians. They're learning lots of new things, but they love Jesus. They're all for um, this gospel. My goodness, I have to move faster. All right, so we're going to get to Ephesians chapter 1. Why I'm using the book of Ephesians in this message is that the book of Ephesians does a really awesome, beautiful job at showing us the transformation that we have received through the gospel. And so the, the first half of Ephesians really focuses on that big picture that we have been transformed because of Jesus. The second half of Ephesians really focuses on what that actually looks like in our lives practically. So we're going to get to Ephesians chapter 1. Could you do me a favor? And when I'm going to read it, and when I get to the words that are underlined, could you say those out loud? Can you do that? All right, this is Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of Lord Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame in, before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory and grace, by which he has accepted us in the beloved. Okay, what's the theme of those underlined words? They're collective words, right? We, our, us. Why is that important? Because remember the separation between Jew and Gentile? Well, Paul was a Jew, and Paul's the one talking, but he's talking to Gentiles. So why is this important? Because he's saying, all of us. This gospel is for all of us. It's for the Jews and it's for the Gentiles. So um, that's why he's, he's really pointing out, this is not just for me, this is for you. Um, and so, okay, now verses 13 and 14, it says, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So he's saying, what is for me is also for you. I just want to re-emphasize that up until Jesus, the Jews believed that Jesus was only for them. Now Jesus is saying, no, it's for everybody. So Paul's saying this is for everybody. I love these verses in particular 
because it says that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Okay, I'm going to bring it into a little personal to uh, wake some of you guys up. Um, So um, do you know what an inheritance is? It's something that was left to you by your previous generations, right? Okay, now this is not a happy story, but my father uh, lost both of his parents when I was very young, very tragically. So I remember this happening, um, but I was, I was really young. My grandfather, uh, we lost him to suicide, um, and he was married to an estranged wife, um, and when he died, she got everything, so I did not, we did not get the inheritance that belonged to us. It's a happy story, right? It's not a happy story. Okay, then my grandmother, um, she was actually killed. She was murdered um, pretty brutally. And um, when that happened, um, they burnt the, the person, burnt the house to the ground. And guess what was in the house? Everything that belonged to her, right? And so we lost that inheritance. Now, I'm not telling you this as a sob story, but guess what? You probably have had some stuff happen in your life as well that are not fun stories. So why is this verse particular really, really valuable to me? Because it says that having believed, I was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of my inheritance. That means that no matter what your life has looked like up until this point, no matter what the previous generations have looked like, have done, have experienced, that in Jesus, your genetics, your DNA have been transformed and are now sealed with a promise that you have an inheritance in him. So it's transformative in that um, what we have experienced in our, even our natural family, he transforms it and says, no matter what, You are sealed with a promise, and that inheritance that is mine is yours. It belongs to you. So because of the gospel, our inheritance is sealed with a promise of guarantee. Yeah, say amen. All right, verse 18. It says, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us, his holy ones. So Paul is saying, I pray that this transformation that has taken place in you because you believe in Jesus, I pray that it would go into your imagination, that it would flood your understanding, that you would actually feel the the weight in a good way. You would actually feel what it is that your life has been transformed because a lot of times we can have a mental knowledge. Yes, I've been saved. I'll go to heaven when I die, right? And I think sometimes that's what us as believers, we believe that uh, we got our ticket. When we show up, we're in the Jesus club. We got our Jesus ticket. We get in. hoop de doo <laughs> Right? <laughs> I couldn't think of a better word. Um, So that's sometimes where we stop. And Paul's saying, I pray that this transformation would go beyond just that idea that you're in the Jesus club and it would flood your very thoughts. It would overtake your thinking. It would permeate your imagination that every part of your life would be transformed, that it would change the way that you live completely. That's what Paul is saying. 
It's really powerful. If you um, read through this, Paul actually really loves these people, um, and these people really love him, so they want to know what he's saying. So he's praying this over them. So when we have a revelation of what Jesus has done for us, it will transform our way of thinking. Say it's a transformative gospel. All right, verse 19 says, I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith, that your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. Because see, when we get it, when we understand the transformation that's taken place in the inside of us, our lives will be evidence of that, will be an, a living advertisement to the world that we have left an old way of thinking and believing, and we now live in a transformed life. I do want to give a caveat as I'm going through this. If you're thinking, wow, I don't even know if I'm saved because my life does not seem like it's very transformed. I'm still working on so many things. I still, you know, I'm struggling with these things. I don't know if this transformation has really taken place in my life. I want to just rest assured that if you have said yes to Jesus, we are all in a process of transformation. So you are transformed, but we are all walking this out day by day. And so don't think that you have to be Somewhere, And that's why, again, I love where, where Jesus really knocks down that um, where it's only for the Jews. Because sometimes we might think, well, it's only for a certain group of people, but it's not. It's for every single one of us. Um, and I want, don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But um, so that is the power of the gospel. All right. Are you ready to go to Ephesians 2? Remember, we're jogging today. So Ephesians 2, it's the same letter written by the same person to the same group of people. It's just one continuous letter. Uh, verses 1 through 2, he says, and you, and you he made alive who were dead. That's a transformation, right? You were dead, now you're alive. You were dead in trespasses and sins, and you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom... Also, we all, say all, conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. We all, as human beings, have this propensity towards the lust of the flesh, towards sin, towards a sin nature. But because of Jesus, we have left that behind. We now have the grace that empowers us to overcome uh, that old nature and to walk in a new way in a new nature. So he says, um, before we fulfilled the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Do you see how inclusive this is? Paul is not saying, well, you were like this. He's saying, no, we all were like this. Paul actually called himself in another place, the chief of all sinners, because if you didn't know, the apostle Paul's previous profession was killing Christians before he was brought into the revelation of Jesus before his life was transformed. So Paul is by no means pointing fingers and say, you need to get your act together. He says, no, I was the worst of them all. Before the revelation, before the transformation of Jesus overcame or overtook my old way of thinking, I was just like this. And so it's for all of us. Um, and so even Paul, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. But I, I've never murdered a Christian or anyone, actually. Like, just bugs, usually. I don't even like hunting. That's, I'll leave that to you. Um, but so Paul is like, he is, he's saying, I am one of you. 
There's no separation here. We have all had this old sin nature that we were drawn to. And because of Jesus, we're all being transformed into this new way of living. All right. Verses four and five, we're in chapter two. It says, but God, this is so wonderful because we just heard how we were kind of scummy before Jesus. We were all drawn towards darkness. Now he's saying, but God still loved us with such great love. Say, thank you, Jesus. It says he is so rich in compassion and mercy that even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us, Jew and Gentile, all of us, into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. It's awesome. It is awesome. The gospel is the great equalizer. It says we all, we're over here, we were all in our sin nature, but because of Jesus, all of us are being transformed into the image of his dear son, to the image of Jesus. So he does not count our trespass, our transgressions or our trespasses against us. He forgives us and he brings us into the family of God together. I think that's awesome. Actually, the more I like read this, it just blows your mind how amazing it actually is when we actually have that revelation of how transformative this is. So now verse 10, I told you there's a lot of scripture. Verse 10, it says, this is the Passion Translation. It says, we have become his poetry. Now remember, these scriptures are not disjointed. I'm reading them in order. We have become his poetry. A what? A recreated people a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny that he has given to each of us, you included, for we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, you could say, even before I was born, God planned in advance the destiny that I would have and the good works that I would do to fulfill it. Say, he's talking to me. I love this. We are a recreated people. And we will fulfill the purpose that he's put in our life. We were created and then recreated in him to actually fulfill the things that he's put in the inside of you to do. And he says, you're going to do it. Paul's convinced you're going to do it. See, when you understand that we are recreated in Jesus, our life will overflow. That purpose, that calling, that destiny will come out of us. It will flow out of us and then the world will know, hey, they live a different life than I've seen. They live a transformed life. Say it's a transformative gospel. It's a little weak, guys. Say it's a transformative gospel. All right. We're going on to Ephesians chapter 3. Are you with me? I'm so proud of you guys. This is a lot, a lot of uh, teaching here. All right. Ephesians 3. This is verses 3, 5, and 6. It says, by revelation... He has made known to me the mystery, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Now, what is he talking about? What is this great mystery? Do you remember when I talked about how in the Old Testament we're focused on the who? The Jews. And then in the New Testament, it's everybody. It's for everybody. It's for, thank God, because I'm not a Jew, right? 
So it's for everybody. So the mystery that wasn't known to the Jews before, they thought that Jesus was just for the Jews. Now that revelation has come that Jesus is for everybody. The mystery has been revealed. And so this is a big deal because, again, they were kind of set. They, and they believed that they were right, that, the Jew, that Jesus was only for the Jews. Um, and then there's this other group of people, a little bit more history. There's this other group of people called the Judaizers. Can you say Judaizers? Judaizers were people who had come into the family of God. They had received Jesus. Awesome, right? But they were still convinced that all those laws of the Old Testament had to be kept in order for them to actually be saved, so um, just again, in the Old Testament, the, the Jews, they had to follow hundreds and hundreds of rules. If you are like me, I don't love being told what to do. I recognize some rules are for our good and for the good of others, right? So I'm not a rebel, but I'm just being honest with you. It's not my favorite. So when the Old Testament says that you can't wear polyester, that you can't eat bacon, right? And guys, guess what? If you were a Judaizer, what they believed is that if you were not a Jew, because, um, well, if you were not a Jew and you received Jesus, because you still had to keep all the old laws, that means your first day of church, guess what's happening? You're getting circumcised. Fun, right? I don't, guys will understand that more than I can. But that, because they believed that you still had to keep all the laws of the Old Testament in order to receive Jesus. So there's still a lot of contention going on in the church because the Jews are still, they're still having to grasp the concept that Jesus isn't just for them, it's for everybody. And then the Judaizers, they receive Jesus, but they are still stuck in their old ways of thinking that you have to follow the law line by line in order to actually be received into the family of God. So my point here in this passage is, because um, we, don't, we don't really, you know, Judaizers is not a word that we use today, right? Um, but we all have old ways of thinking that we have a hard time letting go of. And so because the gospel transforms every part of our lives, that means that we have to actually let him teach us into letting go of old ways of thinking, Okay, it's got real, real quiet all of a sudden. Okay, so the gospel will actually challenge your thinking. It will challenge your biases. They had major biases going on, and guess what? So do we. We all have these biases. We all have these old ways of thinking that are being challenged as we look to Jesus. It will transform us. So it's going to challenge our biases. It's going to address the way that we view people who are different than us. It's going to shock the system of our old way of thinking. And it gets to do that because we've said yes to a gospel that transforms us. It's not just your Jesus ticket. No, it's actually you say, okay, I've made you the Lord of my life. Do you know what a Lord is? It's like the leader. It's, you know what a king is? He's your ruler. He is your master. And so 
When we say yes to Jesus, we say, yes, you can transform every part of me, even the parts I don't want to let go of, like the Judaizers. They wanted to hold on to the old traditions of the law, that, and they thought that that is what made them holy. Did you ever have, I remember, all right, little story. I remember I had a friend, we were probably in high school, and she would get me to go to these crazy things because she needed like a plus one. So I remember going to this like, concert in a concrete building in the middle of nowhere. This was pre when we thought about safety so much. Um, but, so I remember going to this concert and I remember arguing with this young little hipster who was telling me how bad thing, like he was trying to educate me and I was trying to educate him right back with all the sass and attitude that my little self could muster. Guess what? Now I look back and I was like, you were such a fool. You were talking about stuff you didn't know about. You were proud. I was up on my high Christian horse trying to educate him on the ways of Jesus. Or it wasn't Jesus even. It was like, I just needed to tell him how he needed to live. So did you ever like do something and you look back and you were like, what were you doing? Why were you saying that? Why were you so uppity on your high horse about that? Did you ever experience anything like that? So that's kind of what happens is we think we're really right. But guess what? Sometimes the gospel's like, but you're not though. And we have to be okay with that. We have to be okay that when he convicts us, when the Holy Spirit says, I know you thought that that was right, like the Judaizers, but it's actually not the way of the kingdom. And you got to be willing to let that go. So the gospel will transform even those things you want to hold on really tight to. Thanks, Miss Lena. So, um, so true followers of Jesus, and I actually love in the New Testament, a lot of times they refer to Jesus as the way, capital T, capital W, the way, because he actually shows us how to live. It's the way that we're to follow. So it gets to transform all of us, the way that we live. And guess what? If I have made him the king of my life, that means he always reserves the right to change my mind. And I think we hear that scripture, you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we think that can just mean like, well, yeah, if I read the Bible enough, I'll be changed. But what about when we don't want our minds to be changed? Like we're stubborn and we're saying, well, this is what I believe and I'm not gonna let go of it. Then you have to change your mind. And he reserves the right to challenge that in me and cause me to change my mind. That's part of a transformative gospel. So I'm going to skip that Matthew verse, Rebecca. But we're going to go on. Now, if you remember I said earlier in the first portion of this book, it's talking in Ephesians, it's talking a lot about the, the big transformation that has happened in us. Now it kind of moves on to the practical following the way of Jesus, that actually what it looks like to live out a transformed life. So in chapter four, we've made it to four. In verse 29, it says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Can anybody tell me what this is kind of saying? 
You can yell it out. Don't speak any evil. It's saying, watch your mouth. We all, I said something stupid yesterday, probably more than one thing, to be honest. But we say things that get us in trouble, right? But our words are a really good indicator of what's happening inside of us. And so the, the word in another place, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're ever thinking, well, I wonder how I'm doing. Just listen to what you're saying. Now, that's not for condemnation. Don't, don't think, well, I'm, you know, scum. Don't think that. Just think, oh, that probably wasn't the greatest thing to say. I need, to, I need that part of me to be transformed. Because you'll actually recognize by your words the transformation that's taken place on the inside of it. Did you ever catch yourself where in a previous time you would have said something bad about someone and instead you chose, like, you're like, no, 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 and you spoke something good about them? That is evidence of your transformation. So this isn't just to point out flaws. This is to point out, whoa, I'm different now. So our words get to be transformed. It transforms every part of us. So in verse 30, the next verse, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What is that saying? It's saying, no longer walk the way that the world walks. It means that we actually should look different in the way that we live from the world. Now, I used to think that that meant um, like wearing cross t-shirts and like putting the bumper stickers on your car so that everybody knew that you were a Christian, right? There's nothing wrong with doing that stuff. But what it's actually talking about is the way that you live doesn't look like what it looks like for everybody else. It's a different way of living. You are actually transformed. So he's saying don't walk the ways the world walks. Walk empowered by the Holy Spirit within us. And he's, in, he's instructing them, he's encouraging them to lean into the nearness of the Holy Spirit. Because it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Guess what? That means the Holy Spirit is in you. You can't grieve something that's not there, right? So he's saying, pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Because he actually wants to teach you this transformed way of living. So he's there. That's, that's part of that revelation of understanding that, he, that we are so transformed that we're actually carriers, carriers of his spirit. And what that looks like to walk that out, to actually pay attention to what he's saying, to what he's doing, to pay attention to those little nudges. Were you ever about to say something? You're like, I don't feel like I should say that. Or did you ever like go to do something? And you're like, I don't think I should do that. It's because the Holy Spirit is inside of you teaching you how to live a transformed life. Now, we don't all get this right every time. If you are getting this right every time, sensei, please teach me. <laughs> right? But we're all working towards this, recognizing that the Holy Spirit is present, that he's near and leaning into him to know how to live so that we no longer walk the way that the world lives, but empowered by his spirit. So we're going to keep going. Uh, verses 31 and 32, this is this is flowing right together, all one passage of scripture. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Let go of the old ways of living. And then it says, and be kind to one another. What a novel concept. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, 
even as God in Christ forgave you. Because Jesus, you get to live this transformed life. You get to live kind to one another, tenderhearted toward one another, forgiving and giving. You get to live like he lived. You get to live like Jesus. And Jesus is giving and forgiving. He's full of love and kindness and compassion. You get to live like he lived. And so Paul isn't chastising them. He's encouraging them. You are transformed. You get to live a transformed life. And we get to do it together. All right, what chapter are we on? Five, very good. All right, chapter five. We are going to verses one and two. Now remember, I'm going to keep saying it, this is all one letter, one passage of scripture written to one group of people that we still get to feed off of today. So verses one and two, it says, be imitators of God in everything you do. Did you ever see a kid try on parents' shoes? Be imitators of God. Be like him in everything that you do. For then you will represent your father and his beloved as as his beloved sons and daughters and continue to walk surrendered to the extravagant love of Christ. For he surrendered his life as a sacrifice for us. His great love for us was pleasing to God like an aroma of adoration, a sweet healing fragrance. Because of Jesus, you get to live transformed. And, you, and because of your transformed life, you get to represent him really well. You get to be like your father. If you didn't have a great dad, that might be, have one idea in your mind. Like, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. The, the more you actually get to know the heavenly father. And I just want to say it again because I think it's so worth reminding ourselves of that he is full of compassion. He is full of mercy. He is loving. He is forgiving. He is giving. He is generous. He is for you. That is the kind of father that we get to be in his family. We get to represent that kind of God. Because sometimes I just think religion, the, the old ways of thinking can make us think like to be a Christian, to be transformed means we have to tell you how to live your life and we can't, we're, we're judgmental. And that's not who he is. He's giving, he's forgiving, he's kind, he's full of mercy and compassion, he's gracious. That's who he is. Because if you don't recognize that part, then you're going to be, you know, that person nobody really wants to be around, like pointing the finger, right? No, we are transformed to be like him who is kind and compassionate and full of mercy and love and kindness. All right. So when you're transformed by love, you will imitate love. Verse 8 in chapter 5, it says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. That's just an amen moment. You were once, I was once darkness. Now I am light in the Lord. I have been transformed. I need that to sink in. I need that to sink into every part of me. Because when that sinks in, then we can finish the verse and it says, walk as children of light. When I recognize that I have been transformed, that I am no longer darkness, but I am now a child of light, I'll walk like a child of light. It's not even something you have to try at that point. 
It's just something that you are. It's just the life that you live. So anytime that you start to feel that pull to darkness, we're all humans. That's okay. We're not condemning you. I, I would be condemning myself. Anytime we start to feel that pull to our old ways of thinking, we just have to remind ourselves, no, I'm a child of light. I've been transformed. That's not even like, that's not even a process. No, I have been transformed. I'm learning to live out my transformation, but I have been transformed. So anytime we start to feel, or we mess up, or we start to feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit, anytime we start to um, use our tongue for evil instead of good, anytime we give in to a temptation of our flesh, anytime we start to lean in the direction of darkness, we can just remind ourselves, no, I'm, I've been transformed, actually. I've been transformed. I'm a child of light. And you can say that to yourself as many, as often as you need to. I have been transformed. I am a child of light. Because the more that sinks in, the more you're going to just walk as a child of light. It's just the direction that you walk. I'm a child of light. I'm really big on self-talk. I talk to myself a lot. Both like while I'm working. Did you ever like, even if like, um, if you were reading something, if you were me reading something up here, my mouth would probably be moving just because it, I just talk to myself a lot. But I am big on, no, I tell myself what to do. Remember how I don't like being told what to do? Well, I've learned I have to tell myself what to do. So I have to say, actually, I'm transformed. I'm a child of light. And I don't really have to tell you that. I have to tell me that. I'm transformed. I'm a child of light. I walk as a child of light. Can you say, thank you, Jesus, that I no longer walk in darkness. I am a child of light. Say it's a transformative gospel. All right, well, we have one chapter left. It is chapter what? Six. Chapter six. It's a short book. You can actually read the book of Ephesians. And what I do is I listen to it on, because remember, I'm not a great reader. I listen to it on my Bible app, and it takes like 15 minutes to listen to the book of Ephesians straight through. So just a hint if you want all the gaps that I'm missing here. Um, so Ephesians 6, this chapter, Paul exhorts us to put on the full armor of God. Have you ever heard of the armor of God? When we were in children's church, when I was in children's church, we had a plastic set of armor that we used to teach us about the armor of God. I did not bring that today because it's held together by tape at this point, and I can't do all of that and hold a microphone. And this, that's not the main point of this message. But he exhorts us to walk, to put on the full armor of God. Because the reality is that while we have been transformed and translated into the kingdom of light, there is still a world of darkness that exists. Do you know why I keep going from this side to this side? People have told me I make them seasick when I preach because I just pace in this little box that we have. But I'm doing that on purpose today because there is still a realm of darkness that is still wanting our attention. But we've been transformed, so we are a child of light. We live on the transformed side. But Paul's saying, I don't want you to be ignorant that darkness didn't just vanish. It's still there. So he's saying, 
In order to help you live out your transformed life, put on the armor of God that is provided for you. So in verse 11, it says, put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Remember, darkness. So because we are sons and daughters of God, we are children of light through Jesus. We have been equipped with everything that we need to live a transformed life. He didn't just say, well, figure it out. Best of luck. No, he equipped us with everything that we need to live out that life. So in verses 14 through 17, it says, Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Say, I am fully prepared. In addition to all these things, put up a shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on the salvation as your helmet and take the sword of spirit of the spirit, which is in, which is the word of God. Sorry, I'm getting choppy. Take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So we have all of these things. Now, do you have to go actually get a suit of armor? Bless the Lord. It's hot. It's summer. No one wants to do that, right? This is a spiritual armor. And guess what? All of that list there. He says, put on the belt of truth. Who is truth? God, Jesus, the Bible, all the same. He is truth. He says, take up the breastplate of righteousness. Guess who is righteousness? He is. Guess who is peace? He says, put peace on your feet. Guess who is peace? He is peace. He is the prince of peace. He says, use the shield of faith to fight off the enemy. Do you know what faith is? It's believing in him. It's believing that he is who he says he is and he'll do what he says he'll do no matter what it looks like. It's him. He says, put on the helmet of salvation. Who is our salvation? He is. And he says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Who is the word of God? He is. So if this armor seems complicated, like every day I've got to go through this long list of armor and make sure I'm suited up for the day, you can actually wrap it all up in him. He is what we need. So in order to live out this transformed life, in order to resist this old proclivity towards darkness, in order to be a child of light that looks like a child of light, who walks a transformed life, what do I have to do? I have to be near to him. He is what helps me to live out this transformed life in every way. It's my nearness to him. And so Paul, throughout this letter to the Ephesians, to this, this church that he loves, now he's in prison, he's writing to them, he says, I love you, I want you to know the revelation of the transformation of the gospel that has taken place in your life. And the whole way through, it's just saying, I want you to know him. Because if you know him, you'll recognize that you were actually made to look like him. And that means your life's just going to overflow that you look like him. That you actually live out a transformed life. So I hope that you stayed. You could follow me as I went through a lot in a short amount of time. But I do encourage you, read the book of Ephesians. Read it slowly. Listen to it. Like I said, it takes about 15 minutes to listen to it. And just now that you have some context, kind of picture, Paul is writing this to these people, and it also gets to apply to us. But he's writing this letter, and he loves them, and he's just, he's excited. I want you to picture him being excited when he's writing it. 
If you ever feel condemnation, like you're not living out the transformed life, well, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He is constantly wanting to you to feel condemnation so that you stay in this world of darkness. That is never the voice of the Lord. Accusation and condemnation is never the Holy Spirit. So if you ever feel that, you can say, no, actually, I don't belong to that kingdom anymore. I've been transformed. I am a child of light. So, Father, I thank you, God, that you love us so much. God, that you did. You came. You gave yourself as the payment for our sins, God, that we could be translated from darkness into the kingdom of your dear son in, so that we could look like Jesus so that we could be your sons and your daughters, God, so that we could be fully equipped with everything that we need to walk out the calling that you've put in the inside of our, of our lives. God, and I thank you, Father, that you've not left us alone in this. God, that you've given us the Holy Spirit to convict us. God, you've given us the word to teach us, to correct us, to direct us, God, that you've not left us alone in any sense. And Father, I just thank you, God, for right now just piercing into every spirit with the knowledge, with the revelation, with the awareness, God, that your grace is for them to walk this out, that they are empowered to succeed as a child of light. Father, I thank you, God, that your mercies are new towards us every Every single morning. Father, I thank you that you said that the accuser of the brethren would be cast down. So we just put him there right now in our hearts, right now in our minds. God, we say that he's been cast down, that we no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness. But Father, I just thank you, God, for your grace that empowers us to win. Father, that we can walk out a transformed life saying, thank you, Jesus, with every part of our being, with every way that we live, God, that we are a reflection of light. So God, I bless each one, Father. I thank you for them. God, and I thank you, God, that you love them so well, so God, so extravagantly. God, that everything that you have put in place is for our good. God, that you always lead us into goodness. So God, I thank you, God, that that is their portion, that is their inheritance that is sealed with a promise and a guarantee. God, that they belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.